Hello and welcome to Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. I'm Becky Parker Geist and I'm your host. Audiobook Connection is your place to learn about the audiobook creative process in discussions between the authors, narrators, producers, and post-production teams that bring them all together, as well as guests who have listened to the audiobooks and have questions for the creative teams. This podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Today we have with us Jennifer Grace, co-author with Michael Grace of the young adult novel Krista's Luck, the story of a girl, her horse, and the last wild mustangs. The audiobook was narrated by Becky Parker, that's me, and is available at your favorite audiobook retailer. So, so Jennifer, what got you and Michael started on this project and this story? There was an exciting inception that really inspired us. There was a YouTube video going around like wildfire amongst lots of horsewomen. And it was a story of a rescue um, in the Netherlands of a, a herd of wild horses. They were actually belonged to somebody, but they'd been living wild on this land. And there was a flood and they were trapped. The water rose to such levels that there was only just a small hump of land left that about 100 horses were clustered onto. And the whole town galvanized to help this herd. And it's on video and it's set to this beautiful music. And what ended up happening is that four girls from Pony Club rode out across this very dangerous water because it was it had been so there was submerged barbed wire, it was farmland that had flooded and there were all kinds of bogs and things that when the horses tried to cross back to safety to the dry land, they were drowning. So horses were dying. There were helicopters dropping hay and but then they were afraid that was gonna spook the horses and kill more horses. So they had firefighters who had with buoys had set out the safest route and the shortest route out to this island but it was like five football fields of water to get out there wow so we were just blown away by the story and even in the film you can see that there's one girl who really connects to one of the horses and then that horse leaps and once he leaps into the channel they all follow so these i mean this this video was just like you know it spread and you know People were crying and sobbing, and I, Michael said, that's a movie, that's a book, and you're going to write it. He's really good at delegating. <laughs> There's no way I've never written a book. I've written songs. That's ridiculous. And so he just kind of coaxed me one step at a time. First, it was just going to be a novella. Let's just write the outline. And it just took me forever because I had no idea. It was like I got a crash course in writing and in writing prose and in setting up a setting. I know what I was doing. So he was really coaching me um, yeah. along. Well, I have to say, as your first book, it is so well written. The story is great and the dialogue and everything. Is, I really, really enjoy it so much. Thank you. I mean, that's big credit to Michael, especially the dialogue, because he really taught me how how people really talk. Yeah. There's always a lot of tension and underlying humor and uh you know, he knows how to write kids, he knows how to write women, he knows how to write men. So uh, I would write a pass and then he would edit it. And so I started to soak in how he wrote dialogue and nice. how fun that could be. Yeah. <laughs> Screenwriter, he really, he really, you know, dialogue is what moves the plot forward and it's what moves a movie forward. So that allowed the, the characters to really come alive. And um, I started learning the, the art of always moving the plot forward with every piece of dialogue. There's no wasted words. So Yeah, beautiful. 
Beautiful. You know, one of the things that I really appreciated about the book, appreciate about the book is that, you know, you have some really strong environmental themes in there and the community coming together. And interesting now to know the the story that was the inception of the book. But even so, just there are so many pertinent issues you raise, for example, fracking and how many large corporations will put the importance of money ahead of that of the environment that sustains us or the communities around us. I know this book was initially published in 2015. Here we are four years later, wondering about your thoughts about where we are now in relation to where we were then. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's so insightful that you're picking up on all those themes. I mean, uh, when we when we first wrote the book, you know, we didn't want to set it in the Netherlands, so we set it in the United States. And then I started researching what was happening with the wild mustangs, and you know, the animals are always kind of like a canary in the coal mine. You know, yeah. it's like you know, first certain groups are exploited like animals or you know, indigenous people, and then <laughs> there's that saying, and then they came for us, right? <laughs> This kind of behavior is is uh, sabotaging all life, not just one form of life. And, you know, the horses that are living out on the range, you know, they're buying up more of that land for mining rights and for fracking rights. And then they don't want the horses there as a witness as the water gets poisoned. You know, they just don't want them around. So it doesn't matter whether the community wants them around. Big business, you know, is, is what is driving these decisions. So um, we started learning more and more about it. And, you know, the only way to combat this kind of greed and corruption is for us to get together and, you know, to connect and form communities and work together because alone we just feel helpless. And together there's this suddenly there can be a grassroots movement. And so that I felt like that was really shown in Krista's luck where alone she was helpless to do anything. She tried to get to the BLM or to reach to make a difference, it, she just only um, felt more and more alone and more desperate and acted out in more dangerous ways. But once the community came together, first her family and then the larger circle, together they were able to make a giant difference and change the whole outcome for this herd. So I hope that is my deepest wish for us. You know, it all, all of the healing in the world and all of the differences that we can make all come from connection it's yeah it's what heals addiction it's what heals is that we feel isolated and then suddenly through connection through positive connection you know where we're working together for a higher service to be of service for a higher good for a cause that's greater than us that we can get out of our own way and get beyond some of the personality stuff and some of the natural you know we you know we have, we're clannish, we're still mm-hmm. much um, triggered from our own wounding by other personalities, we're still competitive, we're jealous. So we need something larger than us to get us beyond the personality in order for us to work together successfully, otherwise we just implode. So um, I think that we're being asked to do that. You know, yeah. We're seeing that that there's global issues, that, um, that we can't go on like this forever. Um, maybe the first generation to see it at this extent. There's always been challenges and nuclear issues, but this sure looks like, wow, you know, we've got an 11-year window to get it together. And so a book like Chris's Luck can really, I think, inform that younger generation and give them hope, even if they feel isolated, as we often do, especially in adolescence, um, that there's a way forward. And if you're passionate about something, you care enough about something, then that can be the driving force 
um, to change who you are or to take a risk on connecting. Yeah. So those are some of the themes that matter to me. Yeah. I thought that was really strong in how Krista operates, you know, as a young teenage girl, that kind of combination of rebellious spirit and um, no, I can't tell mom or dad, you know, just this kind of thing that we all go through, you know, and her attempts to do it on her own, which, you know, just put her at such great risk. And then really coming to realize how she has to work with some members of the community and some of her peers start gathering around and becoming part of the movement forward. I think it's great how, you know, you show us her path and the potential for that. Well, I mean, for all of us, we, you know, Krista, especially, I wanted to show that her wound was also her greatest gift and, you know, her, her fault was also her greatest gift and that that's her passion. And when it's working in the positive, she's connecting to other people and allowing her passion to drive her in more into the human world as well as the world of nature. And when it's working against her, the passion is just, she feels alone, she feels driven, she feels desperate. And so she does desperate, impulsive things. Yeah. So, um, and that usually comes from that insecurity and that, that frustration with the human world where, you know, the animals make sense, nature makes sense, but parents don't make sense. <laughs> the world doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, you know, her sister didn't make sense. She couldn't get through to anybody. So that's why she felt so alone. She was alone in her passion. Right. But then she had some really hard lessons, too. You say, you know, you have to torture your your characters. You have to torture your protagonists. So yeah. it's really hard for me to do that. I, yeah. You know, I just want everything to be, I want everyone to be happy and everything to be fine. So it really forced me out of my comfort zone to, you know, have her have to go through some of the Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she definitely came out in the end as a, as a, a winner in... I think in terms of how she grew, her connection with her family, her connection with the community, and just, I think, her changed perception, both of what is or, you know, is in the that fictional world, um, which is so close to what we <laughs> we have in reality. So, um, but what she had and, and also what she perceived was possible, you know, just her perception of what is possible. And I think that's one of the great gifts of this book, especially for, I think, really for anybody who uh, who listens to it or, or reads it, but especially for our teens, you know. Yes. They're really scared. You know, when yeah. we go around and do, you know, book talks in the schools and I would say, you know, here Krista is working with so much fear in her life. You know, what's your biggest fear? And a lot of them were about the environment and nature. Yeah. So our kids are carrying this, you know, this underswelling, you know, fear that's not really being talked about until now. We know it's really coming out more now. Yeah. That's what you were talking about. What's happened in those four years is that things have only gotten worse, right. come to more of a head. So, um, you know, there's that 15 year old girl from Sweden who's coming out and saying, wake up, act like your house is on fire because it is. Yeah. And so she's she's like a Krista, you know, that girl is she has selective mutism, which means she doesn't talk. And she said, I, I really can't even talk to people unless I feel it's really important. So she's like Krista where she has, a, you know, uh, she's probably very connected to the world of nature and animals and finds a lot of truth and comfort there. 
and and is seen in that world. But then in this world, it's like, oh my God, I, I have nothing to say. Not only can I say it, but I, I can't even talk to people unless that passion is so great. And she, it's such a greater cause because it's about the world and nature and the humans need to be woken up. The adults are asleep. Yeah. So a lot of times it is left to the kids who are more, you know, close to the bone of the truth of the world. They're not as distracted by, you know, the daily concerns of right. need to be done in order to stay alive. So, you know, they're close to the bone of nature too. You know, they're still more of nature. And um, so a lot of times their voices are speaking the truth if we can just listen and enough people can get behind them like they've gotten behind that little girl in Sweden. Yeah, I think one of the challenges we as adults have is that we've kind of been on a track you know, and so the, there is a process of waking up that um, whereas our, our kids are kind of coming into the world awake and not being put to sleep so that they have to wake up. Right. So <laughs> I love what you said earlier about how the the large crisis brings everyone together. And I think that that is absolutely true. And to look at the global crisis that we're facing right now and how we can look at it and recognize it as a kind of tool, yes, a wake-up call, but also something so big that we actually have to come together to solve it. Yes. I mean, you couldn't write it any better. You know, when you write a story, you, you have to create a threat that's so big that it brings people together. Right. And that's that's exactly what's happening. So we're living in a time of a great story. You know, we have a perfect, we have perfect villains. We have perfect <laughs> heroic kids and people. And, you know, we'll just see if we can actually accept the invitation to get, to get together, right. whatever we're passionate about, out of the closet enough to drive us out of our comfort zone towards other people. Mm -hmm. You know, and we have all this technology now that can connect us. And a lot of people are more comfortable connecting on a screen, you know? Yeah. But there's also an element of being willing to connect face-to-face, -face, show up, um, you know, for protests. And that's what Krista had to do. And she didn't want to do any of that. She didn't want people to sign petitions. She thought it was stupid. Yeah. Um, why would I want to talk to people, you know? And so all these things, that, but it was the fact that they all got together, signed petitions, helped to educate the community, so that they could all show up when it mattered. Right. And that was the kind of pressure that put, that changed the whole, the whole um, system. Yeah. So I feel like it is exactly what, what you're saying. It's an invitation to change. It's an invitation for us to get out of our individuality. And, you know, we've really bottomed out on, on the individual. We've really gotten a chance to live that out. I think we need to take the best of what we've learned about our individual selves and then start working in service of a higher good together with others because we can't do anything alone. Yes. Yeah. That's important. Right. One of the things you said earlier about the, like the canary in the mine and the horses in that scenario, that that's a big reason why corporations would not want the horses around because they would be a signal as they become ill or, you know, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, that, specific reason why they would want them out of there. Um, interesting, I think, to think about how we as human beings, you know, a community can get very ill from something toxic that's happening in the area. 
and not recognize what it is that is causing that. It takes somebody who who notices the trend yes. and then steps in and takes a look at it, you know, more closely. And I certainly have seen this. Uh, one of the publications I subscribe to and organizations I appreciate is a one called Yes, you know, where they're reporting good news. It reminds me of some articles in there where uh, they're talking about how, you know, communities that have have had a challenge like that after, you know, some toxic source had moved into their area and then working together as a community to address that issue and put an end to the problem, the source of the problem. Especially things like fracking have snuck up on us because if you Google where you live, there's likely to be fracking going on near you. And there certainly is here, even where I live in Sonoma, and there's fracking places set up in Sacramento and just around. So there's there's stuff that's being leached into the water that we don't even know about. You know, we have really good filters in our house and you take the precautions that you can. Yeah. Um, but those things can sneak up on you and then more and more people just gradually in a giant area tend to get more breast cancer or more this or more that or more food allergies. And it can be so gradual that it's hard to trace the roots, especially if you're not really aware that it's going on. Right. So I think as time has gone on here and more and more people have become ill, you know, kind of throughout our communities, um, I think that we are starting to see that pesticides and and water quality and air quality are contributing to this trend. And so I, I think that as we go along here, we see how it's all connected and we're starting to piece those things together and say, okay, well, alone, I'm just hopeless and helpless and just trying to, to secure out of fear my little area and make it safe. Together, as you're saying, communities can come together and make a huge difference. I think we've been kind of brainwashed out of that way of thinking. I think we've we've been shown that, oh, it just takes one giant leader to make a big change. You know, we need Mark King. We need, um, and, and really, the grassroots movements are what really changed the world. And even in Krista's Luck, they show how it was the kids that saved the wild horses the first time. Um, wild Horse Annie, sure, she was a spearhead and she was a leader, but she wasn't getting anywhere um, in the halls of Congress trying to, her voice was just one voice that wasn't being heard. But when kids found out that horses were being rounded up and, and treated unfairly and, and slaughtered, they sent so many letters that apparently it just filled the halls of Congress. And you know, these are the little kids of the same people that are in power. Right. <laughs> Once they all found out about it, the change was made and this law was passed to protect the wild horse and wild horses and burrows. Yeah. So for us to kind of start really letting that sink in that, wow, it was the kids who got together and changed a law. And wow, what, what can happen when we get together that we actually matter. Right. And that along those same lines, I feel like, yes, we've, we have been kind of trained into disempowerment in that that we can't do it. We have no say. But our kids, as you say, they're showing us the way that when they come together, they show us how we can come together. I wanted to kind of show how the kids started the movement of, um, you know, that they start. Be and Krista gets, you know, really inspired by that story of Wild Horse Annie and the kids. You know, that gives her the idea that, wow, maybe she can make a difference. And of course she fails many times before she succeeds. That's the other thing she has persistence on her side. She's so stubborn. You know, when that works in the positive, she's persistent. And 
and um, has an iron will. And when it works in the negative, she's stubborn. And um, <laughs> so her faults are also her gifts. And yeah. I think that's true for all of us. You know, we can get really hung up on the things that we feel we don't like about ourselves. But when we turn those things around in service of a higher good or something that just matters to us, it doesn't even have to be lofty. It can just be one small thing. You know, you want to work in a cat shelter because you love cats. And then you meet a bunch of other people that are connected to other people that are doing something um, to change that little segment of the world. And then you feel good, you know, bam, you're plugged in and you feel good. You can go home. You can watch TV and it doesn't matter because you've made your contribution. And, you know, we really, we're simple creatures. It doesn't really take that much for us to feel better about ourselves. We can do small things um, that can sustain us in this world where there's just kind of a lot of soulless activity going on. Um, when you do one thing that really matters to you and then you can be rooted and grounded in a, in a world that, that feels safer and, and uh, more fair. And so Krista's sister, she's um, she's very into the fashion thing. <laughs> so she's a whole different kind of teenager when we first meet her. But it's really cool to see how she's not just stereotyped into oblivion in that, you know, it's like, OK, if you're that kind of teenager, then you really are not going to make any kind of difference at all. No, she gets right in, you know, as the, the cause rises, you know, she becomes part of that um so that was nice too that's a great point i mean i love that because sarah is just such a great character and we loved her the whole time i mean she's she's more grounded than krista she gets things she's very intelligent and she's just super fashion conscious and she's beautiful so um, <laughs> she's having a good time whereas krista is just kind of miserable most of the time sarah is the person you'd want to hang out with right <laughs> so she just cracked us up and and I loved how, you know, really it was her respect for Krista's connection with horses that got her attention. You know, she really did have respect for that bond that Krista had. And Sarah herself was an incredible horsewoman. They're both really gifted with horses, but Krista had that invisible heart connection that that passion that Sarah was lacking. And so it, it takes, you know, one or two people to hold that frequency of that high level passion. Most of the times it gets shunned because we just want to go back to our ordinary existence. Um, but Krista could hold that and, and show her that it was important over a long period of time. And then Sarah could get on board. <laughs> Sarah got on board. We had the excitement of, of you know, and, and then Kim as well. We had the excitement of the three girls against the world. And there was a team building. And um, that's when it got really felt almost like Nancy Drew to me, where, you know, they were solving mysteries and going up against the bad guys together. Yeah. And I think we do, you know, whenever we're like working alone on something, we have that sort of like, you know, this, it's a slog, it's hard, you know, and then you, you just find a couple other people that have a, a similar or same passion. And it is like magic, that passion feeds on itself, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. And I think that with then we feel much more empowered, we feel much more excited about what we're trying to accomplish. And it is, uh, you know, perhaps it's just the the two or more, right? That it takes. Or two or more gathered. Right. We can make amazing things happen, right? <laughs> and also Krista's parents. So they had kind of a challenge, right? Because Krista was not making things easy for them. 
she was definitely withholding information that put her at risk and made them really worried as parents. Absolutely. It was just, you know, we really related to the parents. You know, we didn't have kids, but, you know, Krista's the kid that you would love to death and then just just worry that you could ever keep her safe, you know, because she was so impulsive and she did dangerous things. And uh, all in the name of love, of course, but still you have this little, this little being that you're trying to keep alive. I mean, that's what parents are trying to do with their kids. It's not just keep them nourished, but just keep them alive. Right. You know, Chris was just the antidote to that. You know, they just, she was like kryptonite to any parent. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And just, um, you know, clamping down and, and grounding uh, their teenager did not seem to be the solution. <laughs> no, and, you know, as is often happens with parents and kids from different generations, and they have, they have their own problems to deal with, as there were some big problems going on with the mother um, and the father in this, in this story. So you can relate to them being distracted. But the mother especially really wasn't tuned into Krista. So it wasn't, it wasn't until the grandmother came to stay with them to help the mother out um, that Krista started to feel seen and heard. And the, the grandmother was the one who would really kind of cherish her passions and really encourage her instead of discourage her. And um, she wasn't throwing safety aside. She was just a big enough heart to say, yeah, I see you and I get it. And it mm-hmm. hurts. Yeah, she was a, the grandmother is also a wonderful character. In some ways, saving the, that space between honoring the space between parent and child and, uh, and providing a way for them to not give up on each other. Oh my God, that's such a beautiful way of saying it. Well, she was still holding that idea that there's magic in the world. She brought in this Celtic mystical um, element to the book um, because this family is living in Nevada. It's not like they're, you know, plugged into the magic of the Celtic lore, but this grandmother kind of carries that in. And, you know, there's so much horse magic in, in the Irish tradition. And so she really brings in even the horse goddess Epona and tells her stories and myths that, that really kind of infuse Krista with, with hope and magic and, honor her kind of magical connection that she had with the wild horses, especially the wild mare that she has an encounter with and things that you think, oh, that couldn't possibly happen. Even if it happens to you, you think this can't be happening. Right. (laughs) Right. Yet all kinds of people in this world are connecting with horses in such a magical way and feeling healed and seen and heard and there's movies out about it. So yes, it does happen. And it's not just with horses, it's with lots of other animals too. But, um, I really loved that her grandmother just kind of held the space for that to be possible. Krista could lean into that and say, wow, yeah, this is really cool. This really did happen with this wild mare, and this really does matter. Because if she only listened to her sister, Sarah, she was totally getting dissed by her. Right? She was like, <laughs> like, you don't really believe that stuff that grandma told us, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's just in this world. Sarah's having such a good time in this world. She doesn't really need to go, you know, outside of that. And, and Krista is being driven outside of this world and looking for more, something deeper, something other than the world. So it's great to have the two polar opposites kind of balancing each other out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen to a bit of the audiobook. Remember when you were little and I told you stories from Ireland? 
she asked. I loved escaping into the worlds Grandma had created with her words. Yeah, fairy folk and castles and curses and goddesses. Grandma chuckled. <laughs> well, this scarf represents a Celtic horse goddess known as Epona. Her magic is horse magic. I leaned in to take a closer look. Horse magic? Grandma traced the design in the scarf. The breeze billowed, sending the horses running with the wind under them, and suddenly Star and Eastwood took off at a gallop. A shiver ran down my spine. Jenner's head shot up and he tensed. I tugged on his lead rope. Don't even think about it, I said. He nudged my arm with his muzzle and settled. So, who is this Epona? Epona is a protectress of horses. She protects horses? I asked, my mouth dropping open. Where was she when I needed her? Jenner stuck his head between Grandma and me. She ran her hand down his nose. Well, that's part of the mystery. She might have shown up for you without you knowing it was her. It's said she can appear in the form of a horse. I smoothed the wrinkles in the scarf and traced the twisting knot design that surrounded the horses. What's this? Grandma lifted the scarf from the ground and held it up. See how it never ends? It's the infinite path we're on of life and death, faith and loyalty. We're all connected by our loves, our losses, even our mistakes, woven together in a giant tapestry. You, the horses, your family, and all of nature. And the romance, I loved that, you know, Krista had a crush on um, Cisco, who's a, another really, really fun character, very stoic and very magical in himself. He doesn't say much, but he certainly had a lot of um, ability with horses and kind of a magical way about him in any emergency. He was there and able to be just so functional and smart. So the kids really, I really loved how the different kids had their superpowers that they could show. Yeah, it's beautiful. So speaking of two or more getting together, I feel like, you know, when I, when I, when you contacted us, I just felt like, oh my God, you know, it's really hard in the marketing world to get your book out there. And then you contacted us saying, Hey, how about we make an audiobook?" which just felt like that in, infusion of positivity that I really needed at the point that you came in. And I want to thank you for that because, you know, the world of audiobooks has never been more important than it is now as people are moving kind of away from the printed page. They're so busy. They're multitasking. They've got their headphones on. They're listening to a story while they're driving or while they're doing garden work or while they're doing something else. So I'm really so excited that you found us. Tell us more about, you know, how your process works and then um, get into the studio and, and turn it into this beautiful product that we all love. Yeah. Well, one of the first things I, I am always asking my first question is like, what is the biggest goal? Because I want to know, you know, for example, with Krista's luck, you know, is is the biggest goal to get this story out to the world to have an impact? There are many different potential goals and there may be certainly more than one, you know. So we're always looking first at, you know, where are we headed? What do we want to make happen? With this one, clearly the impact the potential impact is very strong and very important in our world. So I'm 100% 
behind, you know, getting it out there as fully as we can. And then also in terms of the potential film possibilities, because this would make a great film. It really would. And what an impact that, I mean, really, that would just be taking the the reach and expanding it further. And I think our world needs this message so, uh, so much. So, <laughs> yeah. It helps. Yeah. That helps us. Yeah, we really would love to see that too. Yeah. So we do both producing audiobooks, but also I sometimes narrate them. So I'm looking for the projects that I'm particularly interested in. And this was one of them in terms of me being able to help bring this story to life. So the process is basically when I'm narrating is to, you know, obviously read the story. But in this case, I know one of the things was trying to get the accent just right. Oh, God, you're good. You're such a pro. So easy to work with. I mean, I, I've been in the studio as a singer, but never as an audio, you know, a, a voiceover person or a narrator. So it was really fun for me to see your process and see that you were such a pro. Like, and the best pros just don't get offended. They just get curious. So yeah, that the feedback I would give you and then you would come back with a different voice and you've got a million voices. It was just so exciting to work with you because you could give us, you know, all these different options and gears like because Sarah's voice was really important too and you just nailed it you've got Krista's voice you've got Sarah's voice the fact that you can do voices the way that you bring out the dialogue is so important because they're so funny together yeah sniffing and sniping and sarcastic but funny and fun and you just got all of it I mean it wasn't like I ever had to say or you would say I'm not sure, you know, where they headed in this direction. I go, I think Sarah needs to be more deflated there or whatever. And you would get it. So it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's really, it's about bringing the story to life, you know, and I, I came to this audiobook world from the acting side of things. So I got my MFA in acting and started narrating audiobooks right out of grad school. And so everything that I bring to this process whether I'm narrating or producing or whatever, is the best way to bring any story to life. And whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you know, because nonfiction is still a story of a kind, just a different type of story, right? But it's always about how do we really engage the listener? You know, how do we really bring it to life? You know, what is the... And I think that the acting side of things is what I'm always focused on. When I'm looking for other narrators... That's what I'm looking for. I want people who can tell a great story. Storytelling is such an art and we're so hungry for it. I love that audiobooks are coming on now because, you know, I had these voices in my head as I was writing them, but you still brought them more to life than they were in my head. And so Michael and I would just sit around like like people used to sit around a radio yeah. and listen to you tell this story that we wrote, but we were still falling into it as if we, it, you captivated us. And this, it, it creates a different kind of mood when you hear a storyteller telling a story, yeah. as opposed to when you're reading words and just infusing it into your brain and translating it in your own way. So again, it feels more like community. Yeah. And um, you know, it goes back to where it's such a prime part of us where stories were told and there people didn't even write things down where there were storytellers and that's how information was imparted. So it's very 3D. It's very, there's metaphors, there's, there's comfort in it, hearing the sound of a human voice. And then thank you for being someone who has the gift of storytelling because I feel like we really need that in our world right now. 
Thank you. I think it's a great collaborative process, the audiobook creation, right? Because we, we want to start with a great story that's written and then take it another level. I think of a lot of it, um, you know, coming from the theater background, I, I liken it to either reading a script or going to see a show, you know. It's a separate art form and it hooks you in a different way and it feeds you in a different way. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who, you know, listen to Harry Potter instead of read Harry Potter and how connected to the voices they got. You know, it's like they become your friends and uh, we, we could fall into the story in a different way because you're not working. Your, your listening is different than, than the visual reading. So it's a different kind of input for the senses. And I feel like you're creating this, this really nice place for us to just lay down and soak it in and be taken somewhere. So um, it was very sweet for us to listen to you uh, reading the story and acting out the voices. And I'm so glad that, you know, you have the acting background because, you know, even your reel, like when I was first getting to know you, you were playing your reel for me. You know, you're, you can do so many different voices. It's just endless. Um, what a range. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I love what I do. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Talk about passion, like passion for horses, passion for audiobooks, so, you know, for performance and, and being a storyteller. Yeah. And one other thing I appreciated is that you found so many typos or things that didn't make sense. Editing process, so many things are glossed over no matter how hard you work. And you were the, the best ever editor. I mean, and I'm saying this, I'm putting this out there to other authors too. If you want your book edited, just have it narrated by Becky because anything that doesn't make sense is going to come out. And for once, we have one product that has no typos. We have nothing that doesn't make sense. Anything that's a mistake because you went through and, and found and flushed all those things out. And it was so nice to be able to correct it with a voice instead of going into a computer and figuring it all out. So I feel like it's the most deliciously shining, pure version of Krista's luck because of the work that you do. And um, the fact that, you know, the way the voice translates in the storytelling genre is that there aren't any typos or mistakes. It's so lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have any favorite scenes in Krista's luck? Both of our favorite scenes were the were the dialogues with Krista and Sarah. You know, some of the witty repartee and the things that would crack us up. The most hearing you read them. Um, I also love the scene with Bob Downs, that who's the villain, and he's he's just ignoring the three girls, but they're on to him, and they're in his office, and he's all he's thinking about is food. He's ordering a ham sandwich. <laughs> Krista is snatching this important secret file off of his desk. That's one of my favorite scenes. I just think it's funny and I think it's exciting. And uh, it turns out to be a, a real um, important moment where they discover what's really happening with the wild horses. And he's underestimating them. I just love it because I think that people in power, um, it turns out that they have a personality too, as you find out that Bob Downs is a real person. But um we all love a good villain. And when we're at, when they're acting out as the bad guy, you know, they really are under underestimating us. You know, they right. think they're going to get away with this forever and we're never going to catch on. So I think that's the, a really fun turning point in the book. Yeah. Let's listen to that scene from the audiobook Krista's Luck by Jennifer and Michael Grace. Mr. Downs, 
Is it true there are more Mustangs in the holding pens than there are on the range? He sat back and chuckled to himself, like it would take all his patience to answer such a silly question. Krista, everything is status quo with the Mustangs. I had no idea what status quo meant. The three of us stared at him. He smiled and took on a patronizing tone. Now, what you girls might not realize is that those wild horses would starve to death on the range if the BLM didn't gather them up and take care of them. He was lying through his teeth with every word. I could feel the blood rushing to my face. Well, the lost herd isn't starving to death. A door slammed down the hall, and Bob jumped like a startled colt. Krista, you've got nothing to worry about with that herd. His eyes danced away from mine. Is that a promise? Sarah folded her arms over her chest. Because we've got a lot of folks who don't want to see the lost herd standing in a holding pen, and we can prove it. Bob clicked the stapler, discharging staples onto his desk. Yeah, sure, it's a promise, he mumbled, not looking up. A sense of hopelessness swept over me. I tried one last time to say something that would get his attention. And none of those people want to see any foals being run to death. Mr. Downs, please promise us you won't go rounding up herds in July, because we'll sneak in and film the whole thing, and then we'll post it on YouTube. The phone rang, and he answered. Yes, this is Bob Downs. He held his hand over the bottom of the phone. Excuse me, I need to take this. He swirled his desk chair away from us. Kim and I exchanged glances. So much for my big plan. I racked my brain. There had to be some information that could help us right here in this office. Every decision made regarding the wild horses and burrows on the Nevada range went through Bob. I scanned his desk and saw the red folder the big Texan had left. It was labeled, Prospective Gathers, Summer. My heart slammed into overdrive. Bob kept his back to us and chatted on the phone. Well, I was hoping for the BLT, but if you're out of bacon, you're out of bacon, he said. Okay, I'll take a ham and cheese. He stood up and stared out the window. My eyes flashed to Sarah and Kim and back to the folder. I watched the blood drain from Sarah's face as she read the front cover. I had to do something. Willing myself to move, I made a grab for the folder, but just as I reached my hand out, Bob Downs ended his call and turned around. I snapped my hand back. Had he seen me? Bob adjusted the waistline of his pants, attempting to pull them up over his considerable gut. Well, ladies, I exhaled in relief, so he hadn't seen me then. But we needed to buy more time. I looked to Kim for help. She smiled sweetly. Mr. Downs, do you have any pictures of you and the horses? We'd sure love to see you in action, and I know my dad thinks highly of all the hard work you're doing to keep the range in such good shape. Bob grew at least two inches taller. I think I could find something you girls might like. He ducked into the back room of his office, and suddenly I knew what I had to do. Quick as a cobra, I opened the red folder 
grabbed the cover page and hid it behind my back. Bob re-entered the main room, holding a glossy five-by-seven photo. It was a picture of the Mustangs taken from the air. I was riding shotgun in the copter when we took this one. One of the pilots is a good friend of mine. He handed it to Kim proudly. So, as I was saying, it was great seeing you girls. Give my best to your father, Kim. Oh, I sure will, Mr. Downs. You take care now. Kim held the photograph to her heart. And thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Becky. I so appreciate it. It's wonderful talking with you. Thanks for joining us for Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. Please take a moment to subscribe at audiobookconnection.com. The podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Learn more at proaudiovoices.com. Again, thanks for being with us, and please join us next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.